this morning as we open your word with hearts that would ask, Lord, that you would move in each of us, that through your Holy Spirit you would uh, minister to, to each person where, where we are in our walk with you, where our needs are. It's an amazing thing that we've become uh, able to see over the years as we've walked with you that a scripture can say so many things to so many people because of where we are, and through your Holy Spirit, we can say, oh, that, that was just for me. And we pray that, that, that we would be strengthened in our walk with you, and emboldened, Lord, with our, our, our testimony and our faith, and again, thanking you above all else that you have saved us. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. This morning, I will continue to talk about some of the aspects of, of uh, giving that we have been looking at and uh, begin with uh, a scripture you're probably very familiar with in the, the Gospel of Luke, uh, chapter 12, a uh, story that precedes this scripture is one that's familiar to all of us, I think. Uh, anybody that's been in church, uh, children's church, uh, the, the picture of the, the, the rich uh, fool uh, as a parable, uh, actually starting around the 13th verse. But where I want to focus this morning will be in verse 32 through 34. Jesus says, Fear not, little flock, for it is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give to the needy. Provide yourselves with money in the heavens that does, in, excuse me, provide yourselves with money bags that do not grow old with a treasure in the heavens that does not fail, where no thief approaches and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there is your heart be also. Uh, and... What this prompted in me, basically, was to say, okay, where's my heart in, in all of, of what we've been sharing? And remember that we initially came to that, that point where we said, you know, everything comes from God. Uh, in First Chronicles chapter 29, David writes, therefore, uh, uh, well, it goes, Therefore David blessed the Lord in the presence of all the assembly. And David said, Blessed are you, O Lord, the God of Israel, our Father, forever and ever. Yours, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty for all that is in the heavens and in the earth is yours. I want to emphasize that. All that is in the heavens and in the earth is yours. Yours is the kingdom, O Lord, and you are exalted as head above all. Both riches and honor come from you, and you rule over all. In your hand are power and might, and in your hand is, is to make great and to give strength to all. And now we thank you, O God, and praise your glorious name. That was out of 1 Chronicles chapter 29. I was thinking in reference to 
first off, that the, the picture that we, we hope, uh, you know, as much as anything got last week about giving. We're talking about the gift of giving, but realizing that giving in general is something we're all called to do. It's not something that just a few are called to do. And that our response, first and foremost, is to recognize it's not even what we give that's really important. The overall picture is that we understand who has given it to us. In other words, David made it absolutely clear here that everything is God's. He is the sovereign majesty over all things, over his kingdom and, and over the world. And even those who absolutely refuse to acknowledge him, he's still their sovereign God. And he still has, has, is, will, you know, is determining when, where, and what will happen to them. Uh, I, I never cease to amaze me. I always love to share it because it, it's just that, that picture of, of Caesar Augustus thinking that he needs to figure out how many people to tax and, 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 and so he can know how much money he's going to have to spend. This wasn't even for the taxes. This was to register for the taxes. The only reason to do that was to figure out, you know, make sure everybody's signed up so we can know where they are and how much, you know, and, and we, you know, kind of typical government. We want to know how much I can spend before I get it. And... The irony of all of that is, is that Caesar, who knew nothing about Christ, could care less about Christ. God used his greed and his, his craziness and everything else that was involved with him. He used him to get Jesus born in Bethlehem. He's, on, he's got it all figured out. He is the orchestrator of all of it. He is the sovereign God. Now, within the framework of that, he invites us to participate in his work. Now, you think, you know, we know the, the, the scripture, he has the cattle on a thousand hills. Okay, and, and if you think about this, we understand that that's a, a metaphor for he has it all. Well, if he has it all, then why does he need anything from me? Well, because he knows, first off, that he, in the context of relationship with him, for us to be in a personal relationship with him, as he gives to us, he tells us to give a portion back to participate in the work of his kingdom. It makes us partners in his work, not just receivers, but participators. And I think sometimes we fail to see that, how important it is to recognize. And the, the, then he turns around and gives us all the gifts that we need to minister in the framework of the church to participate together in such a way that we can build each other up so that we can grow in the ability to minister both to one another and to the lost community. And so... All of it comes together in such a way that as we participate, it's not only the resources, but the, as we share the resources, he doesn't only want us to share there, but he wants us to share of our lives. This giving is bigger than just money, is what I'm trying to say. Now, I'm not here this morning to tell you how much you need to give. But I do and did last week point to a basic principle that the tithe 
is a foundational principle that God has laid out for giving. I want to be so careful with that because once you become legalistic, remember I talked about a calculator and, you know, let's say I made $1,276.32 times 10%. You know, uh, and we, get, we can get very legalistic about it. We can get legalistic in the sense of looking at those who don't tithe and, 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 then, and, and you know, all sorts of aspects of it and even get to that point where we say, well, I've tithed, I've done my part, Okay. All of which is not the way it's supposed to work. So I'm not here as much to say how much to give. I will tell you, I believe there is a basic principle I shared with you last week that I see in, in, in both Genesis 14 with Abraham and Melchizedek and the story there, as well as Jacob in chapter 28 of Genesis, and then the explanation that comes in uh, Hebrews chapter 7, uh, that tithing is a basic principle before the law of Moses. So those people that say, well, you know, the law of Moses, that, that part of the law is, is gone because in Christ all of that's complete. And I'm saying that it, it had, the law of Moses simply mentioned what was already a principle that God had laid out. And I'm going to also suggest to you that the way we handle our resources, now I'm, I'm going more than our money here at this point. Remember, giving is more than just the idea of tithing or or, or offerings and, and, and gifts in the financial sense. It's, it's a broader picture. And what we do with our resources and how we handle them, I believe, is a reflection of our relationship with God. Now, there are some people who will say, show me your checkbook and I'll, I can, I'll show you where your walk is. You know, uh, I'm not sure that that's a fair assessment. But the bottom line is, is that uh, how we handle our resources does reflect how where we put God in the process of, of, of uh, in the place of, of our day-to-day -day walk. Today's scripture that I read uh, talks about, you know, treasure. You're, you're, you know, uh, the idea that um, for where your treasure is, there will your heart also be also. Uh, and the treasure is, is more, again, than just the money. It's, it's, it's what's really important to you. What is valuable to you? What has the most worth to you? And I believe that if I was to ask most any of you, probably any of you looking around and seeing who's here this morning, that, you know, what is the most valuable thing you have, you would tell me, my salvation. It, 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 it's, it can't be purchased. It has no, it, it, there is, there's only one price tag on it, and there is no one on the face of this earth other than Christ that can handle that. And he's already done it. So, you know, what's the most valuable thing you've got? So it's, it, you, know, it, you know, you will, and, and you, that's the, the general picture from a spiritual picture or an answer that we might give. But I think we show on a day-to-day -day basis other aspects of what we value and sometimes without even thinking about God. And 
the things, I, I was just looking, you know, there's some things in our lives that we look forward to in such a way that we are saving for, that we'll do whatever we can to get it. Uh, I had a, 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 an acquaintance that just desperately needed a bass boat. And he finally got to the point where he could figure out how he could work it into the budget because the bass boat he wanted was one of those ones with all the, the fancy seats and the seat up in the front of the, 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 the bow of the boat and the, the cover over the, the, the driving part the, and, and, you know, the troll motor and the fish finder thing and all the stuff that came with it. It was no small thing. And he got his down payment saved up, and then he figured out how he could fig do, do the monthly. If he worked X number of hours of overtime, uh, he, well, about halfway through the boat's payment cycle, he lost his overtime. And I'll tell you what, just about everything else got trimmed before he gave up that bass boat. And, uh, you know, the, the idea was, was, you know, this is my, and so sometimes our treasures, we don't necessarily turn around and say, well, that's my treasure, so much as, but by action and what we'll do to get it and what we'll do to keep it, to maintain it, uh, I think Tim Keller put it, to maintain it, sustain it, reclaim it. <laughs> uh, you know, uh, that, that, that what we'll do reflects how much we value something. So again, the way we handle our resources, I'm suggesting, is a reflection of our relationship with God. And the question then has to come back to us, what is important to you? And in chapter 12 of uh, uh, Luke, we have the, the, the story of, the, of the, the rich ruler, or the rich fool, I mean. And... Uh, uh, it's a familiar one, but I would like to read it. Someone in the crowd said to, to Jesus, Teacher, tell my, my brother to divide the inheritance with me. But Jesus said to him, Man, who made me a judge or arbitrator over you? And he said to them, Take care and be on your guard against all covetousness, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. Now, at this point, it's clear that he'd seen into this man's heart. He wanted the inheritance, not because he needed it, but because he wanted it now. The odds are that his brother was the executor and there was a time and a thing set up as to when he would get it, but he wanted it now. Kind of like some of the other stories that we've heard out of Scripture in the sense of, I want control of it, I want it now. And so he says, you know, be careful here, be on guard against all covetousness. And, and he told them a parable saying, the land of a rich man produced plentifully. And he thought to himself, what shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. And he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax. Drink and be merry. But God said to him, fool, 
This night your soul is required of you. And the things you have prepared, those, those will be, uh, where will they, <clears throat> excuse me, and the things that you have prepared, whose will they be? So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. That gives us then that, that, that conclusion of that section. Sell your possessions and give to the needy. In other words, this man, he had all that he needed and more. There were needy people very likely around him. Never crossed his mind. What he saw was, I can fix my future permanently. Look what I have got. I will do this. Oh, soul. Oh, self. You're fixed. You're set. God, by the way, didn't argue the fact that you, you, know, you had all the finances you're ever going to need. <laughs> Sad thing you didn't realize. You're only going to need them for a few hours. You know? uh, but the reality of, of understanding that his treasure was in his possession. And they had given him that sense of security even. Wow, we've certainly seen in the last few years what security in, 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 in finances and, and possessions can do to you. How many of you have heard of HARP? Have you seen a commercial, one or two? <laughs> uh, you know, how to refinance your house that's gone under financially because... Your house was is mortgaged at two hundred and fifty thousand, uh, but is only worth one hundred and seventy-five thousand. Well, Harp's a program to help you get some balance to that. Good, bad, indifferent doesn't make any difference. That's why it's there. And what happened? Well, I can tell you, and you know, I I've got a a family member who simply can't afford to to stay in their place, and they can't afford to sell it. What do they do? Well, they just they, they keep doing everything they can to keep it going and, 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 and uh, refinance whatever is necessary that they can do. And so if, you're, if their security was in any way vested in that, it's gone. I have another acquaintance that uh, is living on one-fourth the retirement that they had scheduled to be living on 10 years ago. Thanks to the, all the stuff in 2006, 7, 8, 9, 10. Maybe you can stay in their house another two or three years in reverse mortgage before they have to move out. What, you know, people, it can disappear. And it can disappear quickly. Paul tells Timothy very clearly in 1 Timothy chapter 6 a couple of things. One is that you can't take it with you. <laughs> and that actually being dependent and, 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 and finding your security in your, your finances, if you will, can actually lead you away from God. So I came back to this thing. Where is my heart? What controls me? What controls my actions, my thoughts, my dreams? And then I put also, I don't know that everybody does this, your daydreams. And it really came down to my what ifs. What if 
and then you can fill in the blank as to what blessing you would like to have that would make all the difference in the world. In Tim Keller's uh, gospel study uh, uh, on the Gospel of Luke, there's the point where the, 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 the lame man is lowered through the roof. And so his four friends lowered him to the roof because they couldn't get through the crowd to get to Jesus. Now, why, was, why were they doing that? Does anybody have an idea? It doesn't say exactly why they were doing it, but the preceding verses imply, you know, I mean, Jesus was healing all sorts of people. What were they hoping to see happen? That he was going to be healed. What do you think the guy on the, on, the, on the stretcher wanted? To be healed. So he was there, and Jesus said, you're forgiven. Your sins are forgiven. I, he, Tim Keller did a really interesting thing on the possibility of what if. What if this man went in there, you know, with the hope, if I only could walk. I would be okay. Everything would be fine. Jesus is saying that's not the most important thing. Condition of your soul is, is, is more important by far. Your relationship with God is more important than whether you get up off that pallet and walk or not. Now, Jesus did heal him. Uh, and partly to show the rest of them that he had the right to say forgive in the first place. But, you see, he put a perspective there. You know, if that man had gone out with his, just his healing, at some point his what-if wouldn't amount to a lot, especially if he stood before the throne of God with, no, with his relationship out, not settled. I confess, man, I've, I've, had, I've had no, no small number of what-ifs in my Christian life. If this happened, I know I would be happier. If this happened, I know things would be okay. Just, I can go down a big list of those things. And they have prompted... Some of my actions definitely preoccupied many of my thoughts and my dreams and daydreams. But the bottom line is the real picture is, you know, what is really most important? What is really most valuable? For me, it goes back to Romans 12, 1 and 2. Having that established relationship with God that allows me to confidently offer myself as a living sacrifice to him. I can only do that because I have him as my Savior. Couldn't offer myself to him as a living sacrifice if I didn't have him as my Savior. Wouldn't want to. But because he has saved me, because he's opened my eyes to who he is and reached down and opened my heart, I can do this. I can offer myself to him on a daily basis as a living sacrifice and try to get that focus of saying this is what is important. And you know, I've come to the conclusion that it's not something that I just do once or twice. You know, I have to do this every day because my flesh is so 
eager to see itself satisfied in other things. Even, even sometimes wanting justice. <laughs> you know, have you ever had, you know, I wish I could give a little bit of that justice, you know. I'd, like to, I'd just like to get the guy that, that, that knocked over my mailbox. Boom, right at the, right at the base. Laying there on the ground. I was not a happy camper. Went to go get the mail. I had to reach over. First off, I don't like that. But, um, you know, it's, it's we, we're, we're, there's so many distractions, so many things. And when we, if we really, I'm convinced, when we start the day with that idea of, Lord, I am yours. You are my God. I give myself to you. There is a sense of, of that reality that what is most important to me is what God has done for me. To offer myself also assumes that I am acknowledging God is in charge. He is the sovereign. When you think of a sovereign God, this comes out of part of uh, Tim Keller's actual uh, study that he does on stewardship. Uh, when you think of, of God as sovereign or king, Lord, what kind of things come to mind? When you think of sovereign, the word sovereign, or the word king, Ruler, okay. Great Britain. <laughs> Revolutionary War. Um, uh-huh. Wealthy. <laughs> uh, uh, and I, it, he was pointing out something I think is true about us. It's hard for us uh, as a Western culture, especially in the United States culture, to grasp the idea of submission to a king. Because we don't have to do it. <laughs> you know, the, the, the idea of, of uh, you know, you know we're, we're taught from a very early age, really, to be fiercely independent. You've got your rights. You've got, you know, uh, you know we, we even have some things that say, uh, you know, man is what he makes himself to be. You know, you're the captain of your destiny. All sorts of things that make us this fiercely independent people. Uh, we want to be in charge. I, 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 I want to drive the car. I do not want to sit in the, on the passenger side. So take the wheel Jesus song. Just, uh, you know, I'm reluctant to even go there. In fact, I was saying this last week. Uh, I, I, I realize that I should be sitting in the back seat, okay? Okay? It's a little awkward when you're sitting in the back seat trying to push the clutch and, 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 and the gas pedal and brake and all that kind of stuff. Uh, but the idea is that I want to be in charge. I want to be in, in the driver's seat. But when you acknowledge God as a sovereign, you're saying he's the driver. We read Psalm 47 this morning. Uh, 
And I think I, I copied it off here. Well, I guess I didn't. But Psalm 47, I want to look at it again. Clap your hands, all people shout to God with loud songs of joy. For the Lord the Most High is to be feared, a great king over all the earth. He subdued peoples under us and nations under our feet. He chose our heritage for us, the pride of Jacob whom he loves. God has gone up with a shout, the Lord with the sound of the trumpet. Sing praises to God, sing praises, sing praises to our king, sing praises. For God is the king of all the earth, sing praises with a psalm. God reigns over the nations. God sits on his holy throne. The princes of the peoples gather as the people of God of Abraham for the shields of the earth belong to God. He is highly exalted. Now, and, and you read that and you can't help but say, sing praises. He is God. He is king. Sing praises. And when we read that, and, and, and it was read this morning, I heard amen and amen. So we're acknowledging he is sovereign. He's the one that's, uh, that we're to yield to, to be in the driver's seat. To be the citizen of a kingdom means submitting to the will of one person, his rules, his directions, his call, his purposes. Where's my heart? Now, this is getting harder and not easier to answer, folks. It was easy to answer when we could keep it in general terms, but now that I've talked about this, is my heart's desire in pursuing God's purposes in my life. Pursuing his plan in my life. Accepting rainy days as his plan. Accepting dry days as his plan. And being confident that as I rest in that, he's got it all figured out. I'm told in 1 Peter chapter 2 that I am a citizen of the kingdom of God. If I'm a citizen of the kingdom of God, that means I have a sovereign king. Again, his rules, his directions, his call. We are all called to give of our resources and ourselves. But it's not without a struggle. But it begins with offering yourself to the sovereign God that has saved you as a living sacrifice. Now, there's a point where I believe God does give a gift of giving, which is above and beyond the, the, the tithing and the giving that we've been talking about. And I, and I think that maybe if you catch the, some of the characteristics that at least some commentators feel or make this person, make up this, the character of this person. He struggles less with his giving. Yeah, it's no, it doesn't have 
oh, well, I got to write this. You know, he struggles less with it. In fact, he, he, the person that's got the gift of giving, in, in generally speaking, but I, and, I, and I will say that this is a general trait, he gives without hesitation. He sees the need. He knows he's got the resources, and it, it's just not an issue. He doesn't have to wrestle with it. He also gives without looking back. Wonder if. Or, you know, uh, giving, uh, I'll be straight with it. number of people in this room gave substantial resources to a church that went bankrupt a number of years ago. Some people resented that. They got very bitter and very angry. Some of them stopped going to church because of it. The person who has the gift of giving just doesn't look back. He didn't give to the church. He didn't care. It had nothing to do with it. He gave to the work of God. If some other person misused it, abused it, or other, that's not his problem. And who knows what God's going to work out of that mess anyway. Doesn't look back. Doesn't regret. Very important. Without self Seeking. Matthew chapter 6, verses 1 through 4, before we get into the Lord's Prayer, Jesus talks about the people giving uh, in such a way that it draws the attention. They're actually using small denomination coins to maximize the, 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 the appearance of their giving. It would be like somebody, if we, if we were passing the, the tray, uh, somebody you know, giving $200 in ones and counting it out into the tray, you know, I mean, look at what I'm doing. Anybody has seen Super Christian, the old movie out of the 80s? Remember him sitting there? And, yeah, okay. Uh, so, you know, uh, plaques. I, I got my name for posterity, posterity down on the wall someplace. Uh, we, Kathy and I, were involved in a church uh, that there, every place you looked, there was a plaque. Under paintings, you know, on the wall, you know, telling us that, you know, these are the people that contributed to give to the carpet. Uh, these are the people who gave to this, gave to that, gave to this, gave to that. It came time to buy a projectionist. They were going to take it out of a particular fund. I'm not joking. The, 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 the thought for a moment was, how do we put a plaque on this? <laughs> Where do we put it on the projector? <laughs> um, it, it's, you know, Kathy will, will recall this, but a person in, in that same church that was... Uh, an elder, well, an elder emeritus and permanent head trustee. Interesting titles. And he went to church about once a quarter to keep his active membership. And at the end of the year, I think you've heard me tell this before, at the end of the year, his picture was in the paper of handing one of those big cardboard checks to the pastor for a big chunk of money that was bailing the church out, whatever it was in the red at the end of the year. Interesting thing was that that church had over $250,000 in the bank had never been in the red. Don't even understand how all that worked, okay? Uh, but, but, you know, he got his picture in the newspaper. The news were there, everything. Man in a, a seven-figure income coming up with $15,000, $20,000. His only gift of the year. 
that kind of giving, you know, self-seeking. No, we're to give, we give, you know, uh, without string. And the person who has the gift just doesn't have a problem. He doesn't want the string. He just, he sees the need, and if, and if it's somehow giving it through you or through the church or to the mission or whatever it is, he can meet the need, he walks away satisfied. Or she. And I, again, I, that idea that the gift doesn't re equal the resources, you know, money specifically or only. Uh, going back to the chapter, uh, to the Gospel of Luke quickly, uh, this time chapter 3, John the Baptist is baptizing and different people with, uh, are coming to, uh, to be baptized and, and uh, he, he gets pretty blunt with some of them. Uh, some of the people in the crowd, uh, he says, you, you brood of vipers. <laughs> Who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? In other words, if you're really serious about this, just coming here to get baptized is not the issue. Again, he says, basically, you need to be bearing fruits in keeping with repentance. And do not begin to stay, say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. For I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children for Abraham. Even now the axe is laid at the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, does not bear good fruit, is cut down and thrown into the fire. These guys are coming to just get baptized because that appears to be what you're, the next thing I'm supposed to do. You know? And he's saying, have you, have you repented? Have you, and if you have repented, where's the fruit? And the crowds asked him, what then shall we do? And he answered them, whoever has two tunics is to share with him who has none. And whoever has food is to do likewise. In other words, repentance should create in our hearts a sense of thanksgiving and a uh, sense of sharing and giving that meets the needs of others around us. Giving to God for the purposes of the kingdom, giving to the rescue mission for the purposes of what it does, giving to Planned Parenthood for the purposes of what it does, furthering God's kingdom and, 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 and all of the, you see, all of these different things that, that are out there. And then physically giving of yourself within the local body, the gifts that God has given you, the talents, the, 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 the skills, the education, all those things, in addition to whatever gift he might give you, and bringing it to the, to the body and using it. Our giving is a reflection of where our heart is. And not just our giving, like I said, in the, in the sense of a tithe, but our giving in general, the attitude of giving that we have. How we use our treasure actually really does. I, uh, how, I, how you use your treasure really does identify where your treasure is. I think I said it the way I wanted to. In other words, how I use my resources, my earthly treasures, maybe that's a better way of saying it, reflects really where my treasure is. As I was going through all of this, I, uh, you know, I was realizing... 
to, to make an assessment of something that's valuable, look at, at the, the way somebody has given. And, and again, don't misunderstand. It's not my point to look at your giving or anything, but, but when there's, uh, there's times where you realize this person has sacrificially given or this person has given. Uh, and and uh, uh, in the case of, of, of Christ, have you ever thought about Christ's treasure? If, 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 you know, your treasure is where your heart is, <laughs> then, you know, Christ's treasure, well, someone will say, well, certainly to honor the Father, you know. But the willingness to sacrifice for what is valuable to you is a sign of where your treasure is, right? If that's if what we've been looking at this, this morning is accurate. God's value on the, on the body of Christ, on the church. God gave his only son. That whoever believes in him shall have eternal life, not perish. God gave his only son. Christ's willingness to be the sacrifice before the foundation of the, of the, of the, of the, earth, uh, of the world. What that tells me is that his church is his treasure. Is he mine? I know the answer from my heart and my sense of what I, I believe. And I know the answer in the sense of where I was 30 years ago versus where I am now in my walk with the Lord and the way I feel about things and material things and all these things. There's been a maturity going, but it's an ongoing growth process. And I just want to suggest today when we come to the table, just say, Lord, thank you for bringing me to where I am in this process. But give me the ability to go further. That sounded like a reasonable thing to put into, into, into the picture here. In other words, don't make me one of these people who says, well, I gave this much and that's what I promised to give and that's enough and I'm done with it. But the ability to go further and not necessarily with money but with the overall picture of the word gift to share. And Lord, that I could be serving you wherever you put me. So Lord, thank you for bringing me where I am. Bringing me as far as I've come. But Lord, don't let me be content with that. Take me further. come and I say we offer ourselves as a living sacrifice, this is the time to do it at communion. Saying, thank you, Lord. You gave everything without hesitation in the sense of holding back. Somebody say, well, wait a minute, in the garden. The hesitation at that point was in that, rel that, that, that sense of the flesh. There was never a, a, a thought of not going through with it. He was even then, though, we see some things are hard and, and we will wrestle. But he was pleased to do it because he knew the end result. I ask the ushers to come forward and to uh, pass the communion out, hold it until we've all been uh, served and we'll share together.
my soul at rest, my soul at peace. And it's all because of my salvation. What Jesus did for us. There is no other avenue to that peace. And once we have it, that song was a perfect ending because it says, where are we going to rest? Where are we going to, what are we going to rely on for our, as our stronghold? And, and you know, even when my enemies come to against me, I'll rest in Christ. I love what, what, what you know, comes out of, of Paul when you know, 
He says, to live is Christ, to die is gain. And he was amongst his enemies at that point. You know, he says, the worst enemy the world can be with me is take my life. I win. Why? Because of what Christ has done for us. I know I am his treasure. Why? Because I see what happened on the cross. And uh, he's opened my heart and my eyes to that. I want him to be my treasure. Not just occasionally, but constantly. Man, I'm a long ways from that. But I've come this far. Thank you, Lord. Take me further. Thank you, Father, for coming in the flesh and giving us the symbol of the bread broken that we can remember you. And this morning as we share in this bread together, cause us to think of all that you have done, are doing, and are yet to do because you came in the flesh. Thank you. Just as you took the cup, Lord, at the the dinner, at the end of the dinner, and announced that it was to be shared by the disciples in such a way that they would also remember you as the one who poured out his blood to purchase our salvation. You asked us as often as we drink this to, to do it in remembrance of you until you come again, and so we do. Father, once again, coming with confidence before your throne because you said we could through the blood of Christ for mercy and your grace. We say thank you. Thank you that you have valued us as your treasure. We ask, Lord, that you would strengthen our resolve to see you as ours. Go with us as we go this day, and, and Lord, I would ask that, that as we look around that we would catch glimpses of you and the things that you would bring us alongside to, uh, to help, to do, uh, to, to minister, uh, to encourage, so that we could be complete in what you need us to do for the sake of your kingdom and the people around us, the people you want to, to, to be blessing through us. We worship you. We thank you for the grace you've poured out on us in Jesus' name.